Hola, mi nombre es Esperanza Borja Mead de Actuarial Factor y están escuchando a Global Captive Podcast. Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to episode 16 of the Global Captive Podcast supported by legacy specialists RNQ. The Spanish introduction to this episode and more from SP Mead later should give you a good clue as to the main focus of this episode. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to the Global Captive Podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or any other platform you use. Our guest co-host is Mexico-based Ali Hauser, formerly CEO of KOT Insurance, the Switzerland domicile captive owned by Pemex, Mexico's state-owned petroleum company. Ali is now CEO of Engage in Latin America. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here in London and to have the opportunity to uh, share this moment with you and your uh audience. Thank you, thank you, Ali. Well, you heard uh, SB there at the start, and we'll hear more from SB Mead, founder and principal of Miami-based actuarial factor later, as well as Santiago Gomez, head officer and CFO of Switzerland's largest captive by premium KOT insurance. But first, Ali, can you just provide some background on your own career and involvement in captive insurance? Of course, thank you. Well, listen, I'm, uh, I'm an economist by, uh, by formation. I did a master's degree here in technology and innovation management at the University of Sussex in Brighton. So I had the chance to enjoy uh, English culture earlier on in my life. And after that, I've been involved in very different sectors. I've worked in the toy industry, the B2B industry, the corporate barter industry here in London, aircraft industry, and finally the oil and gas industry, where I spent 14 uh, years in Pemex of which six were devoted, the last six, to uh, managing uh, Pemex's captive in Zurich, KOT. And how, how new was that then, the, in terms of operating the captive and work out? How new was the captive concept to you when you came into, into that role? It was completely new. I was, uh, I would say, a complete beginner in the sector, which proved to be a great advantage because it allowed me to ask all the mm, basic yeah. questions. I, I, I understand that feeling when I was when I first started as the editor of Captive Review. Obviously, as a journalist, your your job is to ask questions. But being a complete beginner, I had full carte blanche to just ask ignorant questions all day long. And, and then you get the answers and you start to learn. Absolutely. And, and the carte blanche also allows you to understand that uh, a lot of what is said is not really understood unless you challenge it. And then you are also benefiting from that knowledge emanating, I would say, the people around you as well. I would, I would certainly agree with that. So you left um, KOT or COT, I think uh, they call it at Pemex, uh, a year ago or so. What's, what's your current role now? Uh, yes, I left in May uh, 2018, and I'm now devoted to uh, uh, risk consultancy management activities, uh, trying to help uh, big groups to diagnose uh, how are their uh, insurance programs performing? What can they do to optimize them? How do they get into the mix, the loss prevention element, especially how do they make risks strategic at the board level? On the other hand, I'm also uh, devoting time to uh, online training for insurances, which is a passion in terms of trying to uh, teach in a uh, entertaining and engagement way difficult subject 
And finally, I'm also involved into risk engineering activities in Latin America. Fantastic. Well, we'll talk specifically about Latin America a bit later. But what what do you think then the main challenges in, in regarding, obviously, you, you want to be consulting with, with clients, but what do you think the main challenges for developing markets and emerging markets when it comes to forming and establishing uh, captive insurance companies? Well, you know, uh, a growing economy has, uh, has stimulated the, the demand for insurance uh, products and uh, in that respect there is a need for more and more sophisticated and I would say uh, bespoke arrangement for the, for the clients. I would say that there are in increasing interest from risk managers as well uh, to learn about uh, how these companies work, what kind of uh, potential uh, they have to upgrade your risk management strategy. And finally, I would say that uh, there's always a way to explore opportunities to cover risks that are not necessarily offered by the classical markets. And the captive is certainly a way to, to do that. Well, great. Well, we'll hear now from Ali's former colleague, Santiago Gomez, head officer and CFO of COT Insurance, owned by Pemex in Mexico, as mentioned. COT is the largest captive by premium in Switzerland, and I caught up with Santiago while in Zurich in July this year. So what lines of insurance does Pemex use KOT insurance company for? Mainly, mainly it's for a property, for liability, a construction. We also have a, a motor, life, and deep water. These are the main line of business that we have in our captive, which is about everything that uh, uh, Pemex has as a risk. So it's, it really is the central hub for all of your insurance, all of Pemex's insurance purchasing will go through the captive first? That's correct. That's the idea. It, it just centralizes everything that relates to the Pemex risk via its own captive. And how has the captive then evolved over the years? Can you provide a little bit of background on the journey that uh, KOT has, has been through since inception? Sure. We were first established back in 1993. Wow, old. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a long time ago. I think they still had uh, just something like uh, black hair. <laughs> almost, uh, almost as old as me, Santiago. <laughs> so then uh, our first city was in Bermuda. Oh. And then back in 2004... Uh, we moved the seat from Bermuda to uh, Zurich. And since then, of course, we did not move uh, our seat. We've been since, uh, since the first day uh, trying to reinsure everything that belongs to Pemex and taking on board every new risk that might appear. As for instance, it was uh, a deep water risk back in 2003, 4, 5, yes. So obviously it appears that the, the captive is obviously well valued by the parent and it's understood uh, and it's embraced by the parent. How do you ensure that the captive is at all times being utilised effectively uh, by the parent and is providing that value? We mainly have, let's say, two steps approach, if you like. The first one is uh, we have a, a strong and robust uh, corporate governance in the sense that a uh, part of our uh, board is made up of uh, uh, people who can decide on a Pemex level, 
Normally, the chairman of our board is the CFO of Pemex. So then we ensure having a direct dialogue and, 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 and good communication with them at first instance. In addition to him, probably there are uh, two or three other board members that uh, belong also to the board member of Pemex. And this is the first step. And of course, the second step is when we can prove to Pemex that we are adding value to Pemex by uh, paying back dividends, by uh, reinsurance uh, some of the business that maybe they cannot do otherwise, but uh, just uh, that they notice eh, that we are there. And is that is that part of the way that you communicate that value to the to the group? Do you feel like you have to continually justify the existence of the captive, or because it's because it takes on all the risk of Pemex, it's that's quite a natural conversation to have. We don't need to justify ourselves. I, I don't see like that. Probably we simply need to explain, like many other arms of the company, what we are doing. As you know, Pemex has a, it's a state-owned company, so every time that the government change in Mexico, also change our relationship, then it's a natural way that new people it's coming and new people wants to know about everything that Pemex is doing. So we do the same. But our best way to communicate back to to Pemex is just simply at the end of the year when we can look at uh, uh, how much uh, profit we can add back to our parent company. And then looking at the um, Swiss captive market more generally, Switzerland introduced the Swiss solvency test a couple of, couple of years before solvency two. How was the transition? How did you find the transition as managing the captive to move into that, that Swiss solvency test model? Was it, was it challenging? Has it made your life harder or easier? What have been some of the challenges involved? Probably I must say that, that one of the reasons why we are in Switzerland is because it's, we thought that it's quite advanced market in terms of, of legislation and quite robust. And in that sense, we were advanced to the introduction of SST and we, on a voluntary basis, we introduced ourselves the SST back in 2012, I think, so when it was mandatory only in 2015. So if you like... It was difficult for us when we did on a voluntary basis in 2012. Now that it comes in force 2015, it has been, let's say, quite smooth transition period for us. The captives in Switzerland are very sophisticated captives. Pemex Captive is one of the largest captives here, but there are a lot of very large corporates with some very large captives in Switzerland, but the number is only 24. Why do you, why do you think that is, and do you think Switzerland is maybe undersold or undervalued as a captive by the by the global captive market. No, look, I would say that uh, that for many European captives that belong to the EU, probably does make sense, makes life easier. Simply stay in the EU environment and not just in in in, in Switzerland. Many captives have a headquarters in one place, the captive in a different place, and finance-wise, tax-wise, it does make sense that they 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 harmonize uh, everything. So Luxembourg. Or, a country like that, it's, it's probably good enough for them. Different from ourselves that are located on the other side of the Atlantic or companies that are just uh, purely Swiss companies. So Ali, you were CEO of COT Insurance for six years. Pemex is a very high profile state-owned company. How do you think that could be used, the Pemex captive, I mean, as a standard bearer for captives for other Mexican companies to follow? I think it's, uh, the, the example of Pemex uh, certainly uh, would uh, assist in 
divulging the message of what are the big benefits of the captive. One of the main issues I would say with the concept of captive is that people don't understand them, don't know how, how it's eaten, how it works. So I would say uh, Pemex was an example because after 20 years of having uh, captive managers deal with the operation of the captive, we uh, decided to internalize the administration and to start having a paramount role uh, in Switzerland where we were based. We wanted, uh, from 2012, we established a vision. We wanted to be recognized as the best captive in terms of best practices. You know, best practices entail having appropriate uh, actuarial uh, modeling, entail having an, an underwriting presence. We were present all the time in, in the markets. And of course, that had a result of establishing good relationship with brokers, with reinsurers, and generating a positive uh, example for the rest of the of the of the, of the market. In terms of being an example uh, in Mexico, I would say that many companies in the public sector. We are the only Pemex is the only company that has uh, captive uh, from in, in the government yeah. the, as a government. So, for example, the health service in Mexico, the utility sector in Mexico would really benefit from having a captive. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you also have a lot of volatility. You have six-year cycles in Mexico, which in a way reinvent the country every, every time that a new president is in. So you have to start from scratch, promote the idea. And if you're lucky enough, they might have capital or not. And if you have the time to explain to them what the captive is all about. So there's a huge definite need for that. And, and Pemex certainly is an example of, of KOT particularly of how to deal with that. It's interesting what you say about kind of political change and that making things hard. It's, it must be similar in Fortune 1000 companies when the CEO changes or CFO changes. You might have just got to the point where you've convinced the CFO of the value of a captive and then a new CFO comes and you have to start that process again. And I think it's also probably quite symb symbolic of, of change that obviously the KOT captive has been there for a long time and been very successful and there's obviously no suggestion it's going to be closed down whereas in the health service and utilities they haven't had it and there seems to be no progress towards forming one either and that probably is symbolic as you say of, of that change in politics and, and leaders. It's, it's a symptom of I would say the, 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 the political system I mean KOT has been around it uh, for 25 years it started its life in, in Bermuda actually and in 2004 moved to Zurich and the idea was to uh, be in a domicile which provided proper compliance rules, which we used for our daily operations. I mean, compliance was not just on January or on March for 12 months throughout the year. And that helped, you know, whatever we did complying with solvency issues, we would use that when we were underwriting. We would use, it's not only, it's relationships, of course, that are important, but it's also knowing your risk. It's also understanding the frequency, the severity, uh, and not just letting that uh, to the, I would say, the outside expert or third-party providers, but really, I would say, internalizing the knowledge. And that makes you a much more acute and uh, professional placer of, uh, of risks. So you touched on there uh, the, the move from Bermuda to Switzerland. Do you think Switzerland is a, is a natural captive domicile for Latin American companies or do you expect the Caribbean and Bermuda domiciles to be, to be the, a more common home for the majority? I would say uh, Bermuda and the Caribbean are, 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 as you mentioned, naturally geographically closer. I would say it really depends on the profile of the company who's trying to set up the, the, the captive. 
in terms of what ter- kind of compliance it wishes to have. I mean, certainly uh, Bermuda and the Caribbean, even if there's been a lot of development in the last uh, 15 to 10 years, uh, it still is compared to Switzerland or Luxembourg. A much, it's much more easy to establish a captive, it's faster. But the thing about uh, a domicile like Switzerland is that it also gives you a lot of solidity. If you manage to have uh, compliance with all the requirements uh, that are uh, established by the FINMA, well, uh, you will be bulletproof when you get out to London or to Europe. Uh, remember, bear in mind that Switzerland was uh, at the forefront of the Swiss solvency test, which afterwards becomes solvency two in Europe. So they've, uh, you know, uh, Switzerland has been very focused on how to deal with risk for a long time, and that compliance also gives you a very strong body uh, to then go and do uh, what the main activities, which is underwriting, which is claim management, etc. Great. Well, after the break, we will hear from SB Mead, continue our conversation on the Latin American captive market and hear Ali's choice of song to play the episode out to. The Global Captive Podcast is supported by RQ, the award-winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. RQ can provide a wide range of solutions and has A-rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to RQ. Welcome back to episode 16 of the Global Captive Podcast, where I am joined by Mexico-based Ali Hauser. But now we're going to hear from Miami-based SB Mead. SB founded Actuarial Factor in 2014 and works with clients based in the United States, Caribbean, and Latin America. We discussed the challenges and solutions for promoting captives in Latin America, but she began by outlining some of the services that Actuarial Factor provides. We provide um, captive feasibility studies so that in a way when the captive is uh, planning to do the formation at the various jurisdictions, they prepare that, we prepare that document for the captives in such a way that they can establish the captive in the various domiciles. In addition, usually most domiciles require at year end to prepare, to, for an actuary to prepare the the loss reserving calculations and an opinion, an issue an opinion that the reserves are adequate. So we also help the captives with that. And also sometimes captives hire other actuarial consulting firms and they hire our services to provide uh, peer review on their current work. So those are probably the top three functions that we play for captives. So you mentioned there that obviously you've got a strong interest in the Latin American market for captives. Obviously, it's a, it's a developing market for, for, for captives. There's not a huge number, but there is a growing number from what I understand of Latin American-owned captives. How is the market for captives developing in, in Latin America? And what are the countries that you see most interest from or activity in? Uh, we see more of the activity happening uh, in Mexico. It is a, a big country where... It's not so much the volume of the captives, it's more about the quality of the captives. So we have very, very large size um, 
more like a global um, businesses that is that are establishing captives and the typical lines of business that we see is a traditional property and casualty line of business such as covering earthquake risk, hurricane risk, property risk. So it is an included cyber risk. So it is very similar to the risk that the U.S. market um, covers. Uh, we also have captives in Colombia, in Panama, in uh, Peru, and Chile. So it is, it is growing throughout Latin America. What do you think are some of the obstacles for preventing uh, very fast captive growth coming out of those regions? What are some of the some of the, the difficulties that the companies need to get over, or some of the information that they need to really take the step? Do you think to to finally form a captive? A lot have to do with education. In the U.S., we have we're here at Vermont Captive Conference. And as such, we do have a lot of other conferences throughout the United States. And captives are really not something new. So the U.S. market is very mature. And no matter where you are, you can easily attend one of the conferences and you can learn so much about it. Unlike Latin America, if you go to Mexico, Colombia, any country in Latin America, you do not get this luxury so it is very hard for people to get real information and good information about what a captive is and what a captive is not. So that is a big component, I, in my opinion. Uh, they Sometimes they don't know exactly what it means. And it is important that they, once they learn how it works and the function that it plays, they are more likely to set up a captive than somebody who's not. I think lately in Latin America, the reason I see that um, it's growing is there are a few more consultants going and being on the ground and talking to the people. And even if the travel time in the U.S. maybe a few months to for somebody from a captive owner to from when they learn what the captive is until they make a decision maybe very seems faster in latin america it could take two to three years from when a captive owner learns a little bit about the captive world for them to feel comfortable so it is not as easy as it seems uh, until they get really comfortable of the concept and they grasp it, then they will move forward. And, and a lot of it, it has to do with um, who do you know yeah. locally yeah. And, and do they trust you? And once you establish that trust and they, the credibility, and then they also see that there are others who have formed a captive and how successful they have been, then they will definitely consider creating their own. So you talked a bit about the countries where we might see, or we are seeing, prospective captive owners coming out from. What about the domicile, the captive domicile choices? I'm not aware of any domiciles in Latin America or, or countries in Latin America who are welcoming to captives. Where, where are they looking uh, to form captives uh, typically? Currently, and I'm not saying it's gonna ch- it may change in the future, but currently where I'm seeing uh, captives being formed, are uh, primarily from Latin America. The jurisdictions are uh, Bermuda, Barbados, uh, Cayman. They're also considering Vermont and uh, some 
Puerto Rico as well. So, so those are the top jurisdictions at the moment. Uh, the reason some they want U.S. domiciles, it appears that uh, the U.S. market gives them more credibility and they feel more comfortable, security, I feel that sometimes the offshore market, they feel that it may not provide it. So it is interesting that they are looking to the to the U.S. market more like a marketing way to, to make it where it's it's safe to establish a, a captive here. So then, obviously, as you mentioned at the top of the interview, education is going to be a big role in, in getting captives off the ground more mainstream in Latin America. How do you think the industry can go about providing that i think one way is probably through the podcast that you have uh, but maybe we'll need to switch it to spanish to be able to reach the market uh, maybe some more um conferences locally in on those countries to be able to help them learn about it and maybe some marketing more marketing materials like uh, in writing books or things like that in spanish I think that definitely will help. Uh, I think the more we bring our knowledge, and and I think because in the U.S. market, including the European market, you are all very well aware of what it it is, and it's it's a shame that we haven't expanded our reach to be able to provide the knowledge that we have to the rest of the world. It's specifically Latin America and including the emerging markets in Asia. So, Ali, in which sectors and countries in Latin America do you see the opportunities for more captives to be formed? I think you definitely have an opportunity in big governmental bodies, utilities, uh, health, as we were mentioning earlier, uh, where you have huge uh, clusters of risks that you can package and which you can wrap and that always will help you optimize uh, the risks. You can also create through the captive special wraps around coverages that you would like to have and the market is not, not giving you. Concerning the potential in Latin America, I think uh, rather than just choosing a specific company, I mean, you can always do it when the size is, is there, such as a Pemex, but if not, you can also start thinking about clustering specific industries. So you could talk about the transport industry and you could potentially imagine creating a captive for the transport as a, industry. As a group captive. As a group captive. No, the, the group captive concept, I would think, is, is, is very interesting. Uh, but we definitely need to educate as well the, the audiences in terms of what is a captive, how it works, etc. So I think training as well is a fundamental tool and it's normally concepts that are quite complex if you're not familiar with them so a very interesting thing that we've been doing with the online training is m vulgarizing if i may say this uh, insurance reinsurance captive and making it palatable to audiences and for them to understand uh, where they sit and what is uh, a captive uh, purpose and what is their role in that? You know, so as long as we explain to everybody what is the potential of the vehicle and how everyone plays a role in that, I think we can expand the presence. And the, the, the but you need to be patient and you yeah. need to be resilient because yeah. uh, 
things don't uh, don't stop. But I think if you increase the presence, if you generate events with uh, with the industry, certainly there'll be a possibility of uh, of ex expanding this concept, which is a great great uh, uh, possibility for any company. Absolutely, of course, I, I certainly agree with that. I mean, on the topic of kind of education and awareness, what do you think the general level of awareness? And the attitude is of the local market, the local brokers and local insurance consultants in Latin America regarding captives, because you often hear about the big captive managers and brokers, Marsh, Willis House, Watson, Aon, and the big carriers. I know Zurich and AIG are quite active in the Latin America market and they want to promote captives. But when it comes to local relationships and local brokers and local insurers, what's the kind of level of awareness and attitude towards captives, do you think, amongst that community? I think it's a great area of opportunity. I think there is a lot of materials, but probably we need to uh, sure we bundle them in a in a in a in a, in a way that is more uh, easy to understand for companies. And basically, we need to increase the presence of experts. I will always say what is conceived clearly is expressed clearly. So if you manage to have people talking about captives like they talk about candy. I think that will help people really get an interest. But you have to do it also. I mean, it's a long, it's it's a resistant run. It's not a fast run. But you also have to try and make it fast because, as I say, you normally have this context of uh, government that will only it will take at least one year to start running, and then one year before it ends, people are already thinking about the next government. For, so you really have a four-year, I would say, window, or you have to start you know, putting the grains before the new cycle starts and hope that the people will still be there. And then, so what then are the challenges and obstacles? You talked about the opportunities. What are the challenges and obstacles that are preventing more captive formations coming out of Latin America, do you think? I w uh, for me, it's, it's more a lack of a, a clear awareness of what the potential of the, of the vehicle uh, is. I think there's still ingrained culture that the captive somehow will potentially undercut the benefits uh, it could be for for brokers and for insurers it's also it's not always i would say well perceived by the by the market you really have to make a very conscious effort to be present to make them understand that you know the captive has its own balance sheet and even if it is owned by a parent company you also have all the interest because many times and that's very important to mention captives are also a retention uh, uh, tool that will help you access the market at the right level and will help you stabilize your expenditures in insurance so you have to really fine-tune that relationship with the market and if you do you can generate very positive synergies otherwise you can also be perceived as a threat uh, especially as well when you start now we've talked about underwriting and purchasing insurance but there's also the side of claiming and a captive is a very powerful tool to claim uh, and to show the market uh, that when you're present in different programs that gives you muscle as well mm. to be able to get uh, the attention of the market and solve uh, claims that are of, of a certain complexity. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure in the in the petroleum industry, you've got plenty of uh, memories in your head of complex claims. Do you think then, talking about stabilization, which you just mentioned there, 
Do you think the hardening insurance market, which I presume, I don't know if we're seeing that in, in Mexico as well, but the hardening insurance market could encourage some more interest in, in, in captives at this time? Oh, definitely. I think I think it, that that's certainly a context that would encourage uh, the creation of captives. And if you in turn show the potential it has, I mean, I, I never stop repeating this, to change the culture of your parent company. I mean, it's just, just the loss prevention bit. Uh, it's, it's part of, it has to be part of the DNA of the, of the company to understand what are the potential effects of what I'm doing and to be able to uh, take action before any, any bad events happen. Well, that is all we have time for this week. Thank you to all of our guests this week. Santiago Gomez of KOT Insurance, SB Mead of Actuarial Factor and you, Ali Hauser. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. See you next time, captives.